everybody. Uh, and at this point, now we're going to bring up our special guest, Mr. Marcus Goodwin, who is running for office. For yeah, of course. Thank you for coming on. So, you know, I actually went to the wrong library. Oh, you did? I, That's why you were calling me. I didn't know why. I got That's why I was calling. Me. I went, no, I went to the Anacostia Neighborhood Library because I saw a Southeast Neighborhood Library. I made the I know what a neighborhood library is. I walked around the library. I was like, are you sure there's no No Alliance reservation? <laughs> They're like, no. And I was like, huh, let me look at this email. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, we are happier and happy to have you on. I figured you I wanted to tell us about yourself. Tell us yeah. why you're running for city council. I found, I don't know if it's true, you're 30 years old, correct? 30, yeah. That's the, the, this, the district of Columbia City Council does not look like men like you who are of your age. So why why did you decide to run now? And like, what led you to that decision? So I'm a DC native. I grew up first when I was born, we were living in Brooklyn. My parents moved to Columbia Heights when I was four years old in 1993. And my parents divorced shortly thereafter. My father moved to Congress Heights Southeast. My mother stayed in Columbia Heights Northwest. So I grew up between those two communities. I'm the fifth of eight kids in my family. So we've been here forever and I have a lot of roots because of the eight kids in my family, we graduated from eight different high schools. So we've seen the challenges of housing affordability, the challenges around education with four of us graduating from DC public schools and four from private schools in the city. Um, and also the issues of public safety. Uh, the high crime rate of the 90s, which dipped down low. In 2012, there were 88 homicides in the District of Columbia. Do you know how many there were in 2019? Can't go. 166, literally double the number from eight years ago, So this, or seven years prior. So the city has struggled with a lot of these issues, which in spite of a changing uh, melanin count of the city, you could call it, uh, in spite of changing economic prosperity and tides, we're struggling with a lot of the same issues and some of them have actually gotten worse. I've always been engaged and focused on city government here in DC. When I was in high school, I worked for Councilmember Jim Graham in Ward 1, who was over the area of Columbia Heights, uh, rest in peace. And when I was in college, I worked in the deputy mayor's office when Mayor Adrian Fenty was in office uh, and learned a lot more about what was going on with the city. But what I saw was a lot of change. In 1999, Columbia Heights got a metro station in the neighborhood changed. So in the 2000 census, Columbia Heights had a 72% African-American uh, um, sorry, uh, neighborhood residents. Don't quit on that. You can guess, by the 2010 census, do you know what that number was? Oh, it's, I've been here since 2013 and I have seen this far. 33%. These crazy. It's, it's the sad. fastest, the most gentrified fastest. community in the country, mm -hmm. Columbia yeah. Heights, where I grew wow. up. Um, so for us to see the displacement occurring, um, I'm now someone who's worked in building affordable housing. That's my current day job. And I understand the challenges around providing more affordable units, ensuring that people own the units that they're renting and have more down payment assistance. And those are the issues that I'm primarily focused on addressing. I ran for council in 2018. As a Democrat, I ran against Anita Bonds, who's the incumbent. Uh, she still serves in the council and is, uh, I think it's her fourth straight election she's won. Um, and now I'm running as an independent in the 2020 election, Tuesday, November 3rd. Same ballot will vote out Trump from office yep, and that. building up the momentum from the past election and uh, applying it now. And it's been a great experience and journey so far.
I don't know. What what, what did you read? I, we never even went over that. With regard to what? How did you find out I was running? <laughs> I know your sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then I. Which one? Marion. Okay. And then. I forced this. Right, yeah, right, yeah, of course. But also. They got, they got all kinds of But friends. also, when you're Googling yeah. people who are running for the city council, they don't look in this changing city. Like you said, they don't look like you and I. They don't look right. like the people who are in this audience, I think. Right. That's something that we wanted to. Black, yeah. black voices interviewing black. So, something black. that's funny our city council, in a city that has a black plurality to this day, a majority of our council members are white. No, and it has been that way, uh, I think, for a brief period, seven out of the 13 were black, but like really the past 20 years. So I am running for uh, the seat that David Grasso, mm -hmm. a white guy from the city, he served two terms, said he would serve two terms at the beginning. He's not running for re-election. Uh, would actually turn the council back black. Okay. So what made you like make the switch from like Democrat to independent? It's the seat that's available, and uh, the Democrat is running because we have funny rules in our city, and not many people understand. Yeah. But the controlling really party, you cannot have more than uh, three of the at-large seats, and the chairman seat counts as an at-large seat. So the chairman who's not up for election, and two other people. Uh, there's one Democrat, Anita Bonds, mm -hmm. and one Independent. So they're already two, and one Democrat, Robert White, is running for re-election. Mm -hmm. And he's a good member of the council. He's effective. So he's likely to win re-election. But for um, you to get on, you had to make that switch. I would have to be another party, and I'm certainly not a Republican. So. Mm -hmm. Well, we probably wouldn't have you on if you were. <laughs> um, so I think when Henry and I were kind of talking about questions to ask, we said that we saw that one focus of your campaign, and I think it goes to your development background, is right. was trying to make a balanced economy for the city. Right. Um, what kind of proposals do you have to enact that? Because I think as someone who grew up here and someone who went to college here, I have most of the people who are in this room have been here for over two decades. What is the, we know that it's a city of have and have nots. Right. Of course, this is like a generational question of how do you try to balance that out? But like, do you have any kind of insight to, or do you have anything that you would like to see the council yep. do under your leadership if you were to be elected, what kind of things would you like to try to do to actually make it more balanced? So the biggest source of wealth creation in the United States, because of our laws, it has been the ownership of property. My mother bought a house in Columbia Heights in 1993 that was $69,000 when she bought it. Today it's a million dollar property and it's the same house with obviously improvements over time that you would make to something you own. She's built a lot of equity in staying put and being a part of a community where not many people made that same decision. In 2000, when realtors knocked on your door and said, I'll pay you 300,000 for that house, people were like, I'm moving to Clinton, I'm moving to Hyattsville. You're quick to make that transition. Right. So we want, um, and my focus is now to ensure that people are able to continue to afford to live there because one issue that she's having, her assessment is more than 10X what it was when she bought the house. Right. Yeah. So her property taxes, more than her mortgage ever yeah. was, even though she right. owns the property outright. Um, so how do you try to? Try if if, to if, if you're yeah. sixty, you so if you're sixty-five and older, your property taxes are cut in half. Mm -hmm. But I think people who've owned property, my mom's not sixty-five yet. Right. But if you've owned property over twenty years, you should be eligible for that property That's tax reduction. Mm -hmm. And it really would not take a lot from the city's budget to help ease the pain of a lot of people who've lived here, contributed added value here, but can't continue to afford to live here. The other part, because kind of moving all over the place, okay. is ensuring that people have employment opportunity to be paid well. 
um, especially people who work and support the city. That's teachers. My mom's a DCPS teacher. My mother's okay. Uh, Lafayette Elementary. Um, so uh, police officers, firefighters, EMTs, um, and city employees from all agencies have workforce housing options, both for ownership and renters. We have one of the lowest percentage of police, fire, and even teachers who live in the city. It's about 50% of our teaching workforce lives in the city. Can't afford it. <laughs> firefighters, Can't afford it, yeah. police officers, 17 and 21% respectively. We have firefighters, a significant portion from West Virginia, who come in and do two 20-hour shifts and go, and go back home. Uh, they don't repatriate those dollars, and they don't keep it in this local economy. But if there were affordable options and better higher preference, hiring preferences, I hope that we can bring those jobs back. So being that like you worked in development, you see how DC is constantly developing. Yeah. Like again, I'm not from DC. I'm from Atlanta and gentrification. They're sort of like different track. Right. But like I've noticed, especially in like the Shaw Howard area, like it's new developers coming in. Then when we took buyers class, he talked about how they come in, they lowball them, and then they'll add a few different amenities and like take the price up ten times. Like. How do you use and like not to go specifically what he said, but like how are you going to specifically address like them coming in lowballing and not even accepting yeah, people out. to like negotiate? That's a good point. So if someone came to my mom's house and said, "Here's seven hundred thousand dollars cash," her not being someone who can get a fair assessment or fair market value may take it. Seven hundred thousand dollars cash sounds like a great deal. Uh, I think we as a city should have an appraisal system so that mm -hmm. people know what the real value of their home is. Mm -hmm. um, there needs to be a level of responsibility on our part so that people can't just get bought out at these low values. Mm -hmm. One thing I think that's great that we've done is that people who are delinquent on their taxes, in many cases not their own fault, have had their properties taken away mm -hmm. and sold at the top tax auction that the city mm -hmm. does. And people who don't have heirs whom the city has known or knows how to contact, have had their property sold before their heirs were able to respond because they do a tax sale every summer in June. So I want to focus on ensuring that we know how much properties are worth mm -hmm. before someone wants to trade it because if you want to sell, you have the right to, but you, you should get the highest uh, and best value for it. And you should also be educated on what your other options are on staying in DC because we want to keep people here. Yeah. Um, Besides your kind of platform for economic growth and opportunity and housing, yeah. is there any kind of pet project or is there anything that's kind of in the back of your mind where you say, you know, if I got in here, I would really want to try this thing that no one else is doing. That doesn't necessarily have to be economic focused. Yeah. It could be on education, like, you know, community reform. But is there any kind of so, small thing that you don't, is there any void that you see that you want to kind of say, so look, council, focus on this because you all aren't talking. So one thing that's actually part of the national dialogue now is what did Bloomberg do in New York City? I think what Bloomberg focused on was a real issue. And it's an issue we have that the most likely person to be a victim or to commit a violent crime looks like us. That's the reality of it from call it age 18 to 40. Now, I want us to focus intensely not on criminalization, but ensuring there are uh, social services provided, that there's job training, there's job placement, and that's a point that we don't focus a lot on, uh, drug rehabilitation and treatment, so that people can truly re-enter into society. If we are continuing to criminalize 
target and identify people as bad actors in community, they're never going to break out of a cycle that we have seen and, again, has gotten worse. The numbers will show. So I want us to take on what is called the CURE model, uh, and that's ensuring that we have community policing, uh, getting around people and understanding what's truly going on, that's unarmed folks who are trained to interact with folks in the community, but also identify who is someone who's a good candidate for uh, a construction job training, uh, electrical job training, uh, plumbing employment training, because these are jobs that if you're true to them for five, 10 years, you're earning six figures and you can afford to stay in the city and you're not uh, falling into influences that otherwise people often do. Uh, the recidivism rate in DC is higher than it is in the rest of the country. And a lot of it is because people aren't given a true path to re-entry in a society. So I want intense uh, job training, job placement, and social services being provided. And that's something that other communities and cities around the country have seen do well in um, targeting, uh, stop and frisk. Yeah. That's not the direction. Since we have DC residents and natives, I'm like, do you all have any questions for Mark? Yeah, please. For someone who, like, you know, that was really mm-hmm. because I'm sure I've been into DC, um, but, and I, I live here, I, mean, I work here, um, how can someone who is not, like, when your constituents here, who's not a resident here at the time, how do they support you, or is it just like you're getting the word out, or how do they see what you're doing, like, if someone who wants to live in DC, can, like, see what your, your, uh, your work is? Yeah, I think one of the beauties of the age we live in now is that digitally we're all connected. Um, through social media, through messaging, through activism showing up. So connect, uh, our social media and website is all good win for DC, F-O-R-D-C. Um, so uh, stay in touch, attend events, uh, if you're inclined to contribute and be a part of the movement that we're creating because Eastern Avenue is an imaginary line. Western Avenue is an imaginary line. This is all a region. And one thing I want to bring to the council is that a lot of our solutions have to be regional. We generally don't share the economics of anything except for our train system with WMATA. Everything else, it's everybody fighting for their own piece of the pie. Uh, we need to be working with Montgomery County, with Prince George's County, uh, and in many cases with Arlington or Fairfax County, because if people are leaving here, that's the most likely place they're moving. If people are moving here, they're coming from these uh, other parts of the region. So if we're gonna address our affordable housing issue, uh, distributing and ensuring that people are safe. Um, you know, I, The only place we really collaborate is the police department. Otherwise, there are no shared resources. And that's something I wanna address. I think it's another way for us to control people having to leave here, not being able to afford to stay here. Um, you know, Howard University has a lot of their students that live in Hyattsville, Maryland. So for us to not have any formal relationship is just beyond me. Anybody else have any? Yeah. Um, so I hear you talking a lot about just like, you know, adult things, but in my mind, I kind of see it as these things are a pattern of what happens in childhood. So I guess addressing childhood as an educator, like, and, and looking at the system that a lot of these students are currently under, like, these things are generational. Right. Um, and, you know, not to say that they haven't made strides, but 
a lot of these parents were failed by DCPS. And right. So for generations, you know, I can recall, I moved here from Brooklyn in 2009, and I can recall how awful some of the schools were, not necessarily because of the teaching staff or the administration, but because the system was poorly ran. Right. And so now, through the reform movement, there's another arm of poorly run schools that, you know, are, are biased and racist and, you know, definitely divide our students digital, digitally, digitally, economically, socially, as far as their mental health. And so I guess my question to you is, what structure do you think needs to be put in place within the public school system to prevent these things as far as, you know, right. you don't need to go back to jail if you didn't go in the first place. And right. so in what structures, as far as community supports, city supports, board supports, do you think are needed, particularly east of the river areas that you think will help our students and their families? And that's a great point. Uh, Anacostia High School, the campus, can accommodate a thousand students. Mm -hmm. I ask you another question. How many students do you think attend Anacostia? Oh, I know it's very well, Hundred and eighty students. Beautiful building. Beautiful, beautiful building, beautiful campus. And the problem that they face, the per pupil student model on a purely numerical basis doesn't work. In many school populations, you're not achieving an economy of scale that you can run programs that provide a good quality of education. That's the reality of it. You're cutting people who do sports programs. You're cutting people who do the arts. You're cutting people that provide outside of the basic school curriculum a robust student experience after school programming. So what we should do is redistribute our resources to ensure that school populations that are underserved can provide a full complement of what these young people need. Part of that is filling the gap for childcare because we are in an expensive city that people working full time at minimum wage have to work 90 hours a week to afford a one bedroom apartment. That's the numerical analysis. So we need to ensure that single parents especially are accommodated and supported with uh, universal zero to three childcare sponsored by the city for those who qualify, uh, as well as readjusting our per pupil student model because we have a lot of student communities that aren't playing on a level playing field. Whereas you have schools, again, on the west side of the park, like Lafayette, where my mom works, which is a phenomenal, beautiful, modernized campus, um, and Wilson High School, which are overpopulated, which the per pupil student model lends and uh, creates uh, unequal opportunity and success. Yeah. Um, when it comes to like, I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of businesses, especially businesses that have been here since I can't even remember closing down. Like I go by Howard and like, you know, Howard Deli or different, you know, different places are starting to close down in terms of businesses. You know, like it's rent is just too much for businesses. So what, is, what can you do? I, mean, I don't know if that's what you can do, but what do you think about in terms of businesses, black or just like mom and pop shops that have that, um, you know, are staples in the community, um, or that can be in the community. It's just it's very hard to have a, a business here, especially when more of the chain is big for businesses, or to be very honest, white businesses mm -hmm. to get better deals, deals in terms of rent, to get better interest rates, they get they have more opportunities to thrive than other businesses do. Yeah, I think one big part of that is, like you said, they're paying rent. I want their 
both for renters of residential buildings and commercial properties to have an opportunity to get zero down payment assistance. We have that program called HPAP for first time home buyers in the district. We also have a program for city employees who are owners of their own, or sorry, who are renters and want to be owners of their own property. Uh, we need to have that for commercial properties because oftentimes a commercial property will change hands from one landlord to another. And once the lease is expired, if the new landlord doesn't want to keep them in, they could get a bank in, they can get a Chipotle in and raise the rent 15%. That's another point, uh, ensuring that we have controlled rents. We do for some residential properties, we don't at all for commercial properties. So we wanna ensure that people are able to stay and I think those are some of the reforms that we can take because there's no cap on what the rent can be raised to. It's effectively what the market can bear and that's not an equitable way to make a decision. So you mentioned HPAC and I appreciate the person who has gone through that um, and not been successful with it. How are you going to ensure, like, I guess, in terms of people? Because especially with the inclusionary zoning, there's not enough property. There's going to be more. There's a backlog, yeah. And there's not enough property to accommodate everybody. Yeah. So how does that, like, I guess, how do you get more properties? How does that, how are they able to participate? Because some properties don't want to participate with that. Some, some lenders say, oh, you're using HPAC. They don't want to mm -hmm. help you. They don't want to, I don't want to do HPAC closing. How do you work with that? Yeah, I think there's a requirement. So legally, many of the new properties that do have the inclusionary zoning uh, requirement have to go through two rounds of finding people. But there's a bigger issue because there's, like you said, such a backlog that by the time someone's number comes up, they may have found a, a, a different housing accommodation. They may have had another kid. They also don't match for the number of people in a household. If you are someone who has a single parent with three kids, you could be matched with a two bedroom. Mm -hmm. and that doesn't accommodate you. So uh, there needs to be a little more thought in the system in ensuring that you're matching people to the product type. But also I think the mayor has come out with a goal by 2025 to get 36,000 new units built in the city. And that's supposed to address getting more units that people can get off the wait list to own. Um, but even with that, process if a person is ready to sell it they're yeah. not going to get what they what they want for it what it's worth because you have to like i mean basically sell it and what the program is telling you have to sell it. well they have a requirement when they're building uh at least 10 percent of the units to be inclusionary zoning units mm -hmm. for commercial properties so they know at the outset that those units are going to go at the inclusionary you know whatever 50 percent right. median family so income rate Yeah, so I'll be on the ballot November 3rd 
the same ballot we vote out Trump. My social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is goodwin4dc. I have a news mailer that I get out digitally and I'm collecting, people can get in my updated emails, people's mailing addresses if they want yard signs or to be invited to events or to get mail from us. And you do respond to emails. And I respond you to emails. You do respond to emails, I will give you that. So we appreciate you. So thank LinkedIn you for coming. DMs, everything. Right, so we appreciate you for coming on. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, really appreciate that. Really appreciate that. So we appreciate you all for sticking around. Shout out to Savannah for making this happen. So shout out to her. So you can follow us on all social media that we have. That's uh, on Twitter, underscore WRGO. Let me get it right this time. Uh, Instagram at what's really going. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we also have t-shirts here for Excel Academy for you. They're trying to. It's an all-girls academy, public school in Washington, D.C. That, that they're trying to shut down. So get them a new building. But thank you for our live guests, Savannah, Asha, Garrett. I do not know your name. Chantel, my mother, Marcus, Henry, Noah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.